Hi everyone, this is Yin and welcome to Growth From Failure. I wanted to create this show to highlight extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up, but with a slight twist. I'll have conversations with people from a variety of professions, from investors to entrepreneurs to educators to athletes, because I enjoy hearing a really good success story from any discipline. But I wanted to view their story more through a lens of struggle or hardship and even failure. Because for me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow aren't from the wins or triumphs, but from the setbacks and defeat. So instead of reviewing their highlight reel with all the success and accomplishments, we'll talk about some of the bloopers that includes the mistakes and the rocky roads, which can be glossed over, but oftentimes more impactful to their mindset and success. I hope hearing their journey inspires you to not fear failing, but motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. This is the story of Dr. Leah Lagos, a clinical psychologist who specializes in health and performance psychology. Dr. Lagos is known for her pioneering work in heart rate variability biofeedback. Now, up until a few years ago, I had no idea what heart rate variability, or HRV for short, I had no idea what HRV was. And simply, it's the variation in time between each heartbeat. And I started reading about the popularity of HRV biofeedback a few years ago and was so intrigued at the data and research that showed how HRV changes as you incorporate more sleep, more mindfulness, relaxation exercises, and certainly physical activity in your life. And Dr. Lagos's work centers around this, and she's truly leading the way in HRV biofeedback among athletes and peak performers. In this episode, you'll hear how Dr. Lagos discovered her passion of sports and performance psychology at the age of nine, which is incredible. And since then, she has spent decades working with people to enhance their performance. Her comprehensive work is unique in that it marries clinical psychology as well as sports psychology. For those who aren't in New York to see her private practice, she has a wonderful book out called Heart, Breath, Mind that explains how your heart is a muscle and it too can be trained. I found the book to be a wonderful read and highlights how you can actually train your heart to conquer stress. For me, one of the key and very immediate takeaways from her book was how I was breathing wrong my entire adult life. And with certainly elevated levels of anxiety and stress for everybody, certainly during this pandemic, I have to say that Dr. Lagos's work has helped me come back to center quickly. That's not to say the stress and anxiety go away completely, but I'm able to manage around it noticeably better. I highly, highly recommend her book. And it was hard in this interview not to focus the entire conversation around her work, but I promise I got some growth questions in there too. And I loved her answer at the end to one of the biggest and most impactful growth moments that really changed the course of her doctorate research. Please enjoy this conversation with the pioneer, Dr. Leah Lagos. Hi, Dr. Lagos. Welcome to the show. Hi, and great to be here. So I wanted to thank my friend Natalie for connecting me with your work. I'd already been familiar with it before because I'm a big fan of Josh Waitzkin. And several years ago, I remember seeing a presentation that you joined him with, and he highlighted a lot of your work in heart rate variability and biofeedback. His work as a chess player was a catalyst for me following him. So anyways, I asked my friend Natalie more recently, I asked her because she works with a lot of pioneers in their space and elite performers. And I asked her who she recommended in the field of unconscious bias. And I have to look up her quote because she says, Dr. Leah Lagos is who we work with for everything, but she's also great for unconscious bias as well. 
So thank you to Natalie for reconnecting me with your work. And I picked up your brand new book, Heart, Breath, Mind, which is fantastic. And and it reviews your 10-week program to train your heart to conquer stress and achieve success, which I love and I've already gifted to my husband and so many of my, my family members. Before we talk about your incredible work as a performance psychologist and this wonderful book, I always love to hear people's background stories of where they grew up and their childhood. So if you don't mind rewinding your highlight reel a little bit and sharing with our listeners where you grew up. I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, which is on the West Coast between Naples and Tampa. And I had one sibling growing up. We went to the same school, even though she was several years younger. And I attended the same school from fourth grade through 12th grade. So lots of familiar surroundings, same types of people. It's really funny. And many of those people have moved to New York since. I think we were all craving a cosmopolitan adventure when we grew up. And so we're still in touch. And it's so neat to have friendships from the time you were 12 (laughs) to now. Yeah. So my son is seven, and I read in an article that you found out what you wanted to do when you were nine. (laughs) And I can't imagine in a couple years that that may happen to him, if not sooner. Can you share how that happened and what was the environment behind you discovering your future passion? The one thing in life I've always known that I wanted to be was a performance psychologist. And that's even before it's funny, before it was even a term. And the way it started was, if you meet me, you'll see I'm tall and I'm six feet. And I was always a tall young woman, even at six years old and even at eight years old. And sports very quickly became a way that that height became an asset and something that I felt was a gift instead of something that felt awkward and uncomfortable. (laughs) And I knew that I wanted to help people understand the benefits of sports and overcoming challenge in other forms of performance and, and help them develop courage, confidence, and the ability to lead in life. The innate desire to help other people I think I was born with. Of course, stress and being a tall young woman wasn't always easy. I mean, it was fun. In first grade, my little friend and I were in the student talent show with Sunny and Cher. (laughs) I'm saying, I got you, babe. So we had fun with it. But there were certainly a lot of times where it didn't feel so comfortable all of the time. So I would say that was a form of stress um, that I was able to pivot and feel in a different way in a different environment through sports. And it was something I I knew I wasn't alone in, and I wanted to, in that path, help others. That's incredible. And I know that one of the quotes in your book, and also he's said this many times, is Dr. Leo Lagos is the biggest empath, and that's from Josh Waitzkin, which is just an incredible description of someone and adjective to use. So that's incredible. So you have this early feeling that you wanted to help people and you wanted to focus on psychology and performance enhancement. Where did you go to university and how did you pick that? It's an interesting story, I suppose. (laughs) I designed everything I did, whether it was being a lifeguard at summer camp or doing an internship my sophomore year of college with the Olympic Committee. And I lived at the United States Olympics Committee for about four months. I was an intern for USA Volleyball, their PR department. But that was because they wouldn't allow me to work with their athletes on psychology just yet without a degree. But I kept choosing, and I did internships with the PGA Tour and the NBA, and I I kept choosing 
ways to get more and more exposure to multiple types of athletes and their mental state. So I've been shaping my understanding of performance psychology perhaps since an early age. And I went to University of Florida and then I went on to do my master's and PhD at Rutgers University. And Rutgers has a really incredible track, a specialty in sports psychology. And so although my degree is in clinical psychology, I was able to specialize in sports psychology. And it was there that I developed my love and passion for biofeedback. I think it was in 2004 that you mentioned in your book that you came across two amazing doctors, a few doctors, uh, Dr. Paul Lehrer and Evgeny and Branya Vashilo. Can you share what that experience was like and what you've uncovered since then? I was working with athletes my first year at Rutgers, and 90% of them were coming in saying, I need something to help me manage anxiety. And it could be anxiety in school, or it could be anxiety in sports, or anxiety about teammates, or anxiety about coaches. But anxiety was the main issue, and not necessarily the only issue, but that virtually every athlete who was coming in wanted help managing. But they had a special time duration that they needed to be able to cure this anxiety. So talk therapy wasn't necessarily acting quickly enough, and it could help them, but I needed something that was systematic, scientifically based. And I went to a talk that Paul Lair was giving, and he's a Harvard trained psychologist who has worked at UMDNJ and Rutgers for probably more than two decades, probably three decades, and has recently retired. But he and the Vashilos together are kind of the people who discovered resonant frequency, that breathing at a specific rate could produce a frequency that was system-wide, from your heart to your mind to your gut, and that created health and performance benefits as a result. And so I heard him talking about using heart rate variability biofeedback and the efficacy for treating anxiety symptoms, people with PTSD, people with depression. And so after his talk, I said, could we have a a little discussion about athletes? Have you ever used this with athletes? Little did I know that question would be the next 15 years of my research and clinical application using it for performance. And he said, well, that's a lovely idea. There hasn't been a lot studied, but we could study it together. And gosh, how lucky of an invitation was that? (laughs) And so I studied with Paul and Branya and Afghani Vashilo, who are just incredible practitioners and minds. And they had me, first and foremost, go through it myself. And Yin, I will tell you, by week four, I was noticing I could let go of stress faster. Week seven, my mind was clearer. This was changing how my body functioned without any conscious effort. All I had to do was go through the training and practice my homework. It really shifted and imprinted my view of psychology, which is fantastic, treating the mind. But it's only a segment. When we add treating the body and, in fact, treat the body first, we can expedite the psychological instruction and techniques for the mind. That is incredible. And so I'm a little bit more familiar just having read your book, but for those who aren't as familiar, can you describe what resonance is and how people can really channel that? So resonance is a system-wide energy, (laughs) and it can be elicited when your breathing rate and your heart rate correspond. And generally, 
you can do this on your own by breathing at a few different frequencies between four and six breaths per minute and you can get really technical there isn't a ton of research that says if you get it down to the decimal it makes that much more of a difference than using a, a rounded integer four or five or six but what the Vashilos found is that exhaling slightly longer than the inhale helps to produce greater blood flow and oxygen to the brain and to the body. Resonance, I also call a healing frequency. I've seen people breathe at resonant frequencies and be able to heal themselves in very nuanced ways, whether it's someone with unrelenting depression or someone I had many, many years ago and gave me permission to speak publicly about her, and she was a huge advocate of this process, who had cyclical vomiting every time she was about to menstruate, she would have vomiting for days for unexplained reasons why. And she had gone to doctors for years. We went through the HRV. I said, I don't know if this can help you, but it will help your anxiety and it will improve your mood. She said, well, then let's try it. And we did. And her cyclical vomiting absolutely disappeared. And so there are so many different nuances from health conditions that this can treat to someone who is in the performance world and needs to be able to make decisions under pressure with being objective. Someone who needs to inhibit lots of thinking and just really crisply focus in the moment. So there are some really interesting brain benefits to this too. But back to your question, resonance is a frequency in the heart that you can elicit through your breath that essentially travels up to your brain and to your gut via the vagus nerve so it has a system-wide response and helps you gain greater self-control over responses that were formerly automatic. Can you describe the difference between heart rate breathing and managing that and meditation? A question that I get asked a lot, how is this any different than meditation? And I've had so many meditators come to me wanting to try this and explicitly saying, after going through this, this is absolutely different than meditation. There are specific effects that you can get from this directly. The biggest one is meditation is wonderful for helping to manage stress. This, though, improves how you respond in those stressful situations. So it's not just to reduce your stress in the moment. It actually changes. It reduces your cardiovascular reactivity to the stressor and your heart rate recovers faster after the stressor, meaning you recover faster. You're not lingering in that stressor cognitively or physiologically so long. So those are the two components, the reduced cardiovascular reactivity and the faster recovery. Other people will tell you that this is almost like a reflex that kicks in. Your heart is a muscle, and I talk about that in the book. You can train it. So if you were at the US Open and you were doing a thousand serves, before the actual US Open, the goal is that on game day, you don't have to think about it. I want you to do the same thing with the heart. So you do enough reps of breathing at this beautiful resonant frequency that increases heart rate variability. And all of a sudden, the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in on its own during stressful moments. You've taught it to do that by increasing heart rate variability. One thing that I learned in the book that was so simple but powerful was that I was breathing wrong the whole time. <laughs> and you do such a great job of very simply saying, put your hand on your chest and put your hand on your belly. And not surprisingly, I learned I was breathing wrong. And I read a stat 
I think it was on your website that says we breathe 20,000 breaths a day. And it's shocking the reps that we put in and how many times we do it wrong. <laughs> can you share how to breathe properly so that people can start with that process? Lord, we're a nation, a globe of chest breathers. And when we breathe from our chest, we don't actually maximize the kind of holistic benefits of increasing blood flow and oxygen to our peripheries as well as to our mind and our brain. Breathing from the abdomen is what I suggest. So we could all do it together, placing a hand on your chest and a hand on your abdomen. And I want for the chest to remain still. So as you inhale, just gently expanding that abdomen, pushing it out just gently, like a little Buddha belly, okay? Not forcing it, just allowing it to appear. And then gently contracting it as you exhale. So let's do it again, chesting still, expanding the abdomen on the inhale and contracting the abdomen and an open mouth, pursed lips. Good, excellent, beautiful. Very well done, Yim. And that is just a simple introduction to breathing to optimize the heart and the mind. Yeah, it started. So I've been doing this for about four weeks now, and I know the recommended time is to do it for 20 minutes, two times a day. I'm building up to it. I think I'm at, a, at around 10 minutes, so I'm getting there. But already in a matter of four weeks, I already feel slightly reduced anxiety and I'm sleeping slightly better, which are two things that I'm trying to manage. But you had mentioned the work with the Vashilos that there was studies that showed that to breathe in for roughly four seconds, but to breathe out for longer was effective. Can you expand on that and also the technique to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth? Why not through the nose for both or through the mouth for both? What we're doing when we exhale is we're releasing CO2, carbon dioxide, and thereby increasing oxygen circulation in the body. It's really interesting. Most of my clients will report by week seven that their energy has improved whether that's in physical performance or mental performance. And we believe it has to do with the increased oxygenation to the brain and the peripheries. I had an Olympian say to me, what is happening? I just don't get tired during my workout. This is the same workout. It wasn't until Yen I had a six-year-old tell me that he was able to run three miles without stopping for the first time in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I that six-year-old would hang out with my children. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Vashilos and I said, what's happening here? Explain to me your hypotheses. And so I did it myself. I, at the time, was a three-mile runner. Nothing more, nothing less. Ten weeks of the HRV training, I signed up for my first 10K. I just wasn't getting tired. And my training hadn't changed. So there is the basic reason, the increased oxygenation is increasing research about breathing through the nose and out through the nose. That's not anything I have researched with this process. So I can't justly compare the two. I'm always open to exploration. What I sometimes have clients do is practice taking what I call power boosts, which are just three to five breaths, focusing on a positive emotion such as courage or confidence or calm on the inhale and letting go of any anxiety and trying that through the nose and out through the mouth. If they're curious about the nasal breathing right now, because there are some books that have come out really suggesting the benefits of that, I say, let's do the breathing the way this was designed, inhale through the nose and out through the mouth for the 20 minute twice a day. But if you want to try the nasal breathing for those little power boosts, 
throughout the day, you can. And let's see how that feels. So you mentioned you worked with a six-year-old, and I know you've worked with people over 60. So the demographic span is pretty wide. What do you choose to focus on in terms of performer, if any type of category or segment? Bulk of my clients are elite level athletes or are in the business world. The business world came after me in several years ago and said, we want you to do with us what you do with your athletes <laughs> for slightly similar and slightly different reasons. And the reasons that are different are they're very concerned and interested in the cognitive benefits of this. There have been papers, the Vashilos published one, about HIV biofeedback as a form of brain stimulation. It is. It changes the oxygen and blood flow and alters particularly how the prefrontal lobe functions, allowing, and I mentioned before, greater emotional regulation, but also functions like being able to focus longer being able to inhibit negative thoughts, being able to be objective during decision-making, being able to make decisions faster. You have a faster reaction speed. So that's a benefit that interests a lot of people in the business world. I love the work with kids. I don't do it so much anymore. That was more the inception of my career, but I will say it was also some of my favorite work. And the reason is because this can be life-changing for kids who feel like they don't have control. That's just a common feeling when you're six, seven, eight, maybe even 14, not fully having control over your own life. But they get control, they gain control over their heart rhythms, and there's a psychological impact that they feel greater confidence, that they exert autonomy and control over their life, that they have the ability to control what's inside. The six-year-old I worked with many, many years ago was a friend's son, and he was just, and again, I have permission from that parent, and he's not a child anymore <laughs> to speak about our experiences, but what a beautiful soul, and he was also a chess player. His mind was very far advanced. He was big, like George Costanza and fast and funny and insightful. And I will tell you, Yin, at week 10, he came in, he said, Doc, I have a performance plan. Every six-year-old needs to be doing this. I'll tell you why. <laughs> he wanted to market to that demographic. And the reason he very clearly articulated, he said, I have control. I have control over my heart and my mind and what I'm doing. And I can let go when I need to, focus on what I want. And he said, and I feel just overall happier in my life because I have greater control, all from just this brilliant six-year-old mind. But I will say to you, children, everyone benefits if you go through the protocol that I've written about in the book, 10 weeks of training, practicing 20 minutes twice a day, meeting with me or a clinician once a week, if possible. The benefits happen across age, demographic, education level, but with kids, Yin, it happens slightly faster. Their hearts are newer and fresher. And you start to see results you see with adults at week six, at week two. And kids, they will be very articulate about how it's changing them. And some of the most beautiful statements, I've had kids say how this has changed their life as well. Well, I'm going to apply this to my four and seven-year-old immediately then and see what happens in two weeks. One of the questions I was going to ask you then is, is the approach the same for children or any type of performer or non-performer, but it sounds like it's similar across the board. Yeah, for kids, you can't quite do 20 minutes twice a day. So you work up to it. 
And there are kind of two ways to do this. And peak performers, adults in the business world and the finance world do this too. So we can kind of modify a little bit, but use it across populations. And one for kids, you might just do five minutes twice a day. Adults, really the 20 minutes twice a day is best. You will get some benefits, as you've noted, at 10 minutes, but the benefits are so much better (laughs) if you do the 20 minutes twice a day. For kids also, and you can do this with adults too, I teach parents to invite their child to come back to center. So when a child gets upset, you lean over and you say, hello, Madeline, that's the name of my daughter, let's come back to center. Let's take two breaths, inhale through the nose, exhale through the mouth, come back to center. And you say it with them and you start to see them use the breathing without you having to instruct and it transfers over which is really fun and beautiful too for an adult the idea of coming back to center can be a really important one the idea that we all have stress we're not going to prevent ever having stress but it's not so much having a reaction as having an expedited recovery coming back to center as quickly and efficiently as possible and how you do that you mentioned with your education that you focus on clinical psychology, and your work then moved over to sports psychology. Can you now differentiate the two, or is such an overlap in many ways in how they think and perform? In some people's eyes, sports psychology or performance psychology is all focused on the moment. And I have a more comprehensive approach that I believe everything we do in life affects our performance, how we sleep, (laughs) how we manage our stress, how we manage our day and implement a daily architecture. So I view clinical psychology and sport and performance psychology as very much an intersection. People have different ways of practicing within sport and performance psychology that may be their style, but mine is a very comprehensive and holistic approach that performance, you can't just extract and treat on its own. Over 15 years of practice, you wrote this wonderful book that kind of gives away your trade secrets. What was the catalyst to writing this book and sharing more of what your private practice focuses on? I can only see so many people in person, and this absolutely changes lives. And I've had people, Yin, call me from other countries, India, Egypt, Australia. Doc, can I come and work with you for 10 days straight? I really need this. I know you can help me. You helped XYZ who referred me to you, I'm not able to help those people to just fly in for a few days. It's a comprehensive 10-week program. And now we have things like Zoom that make it more possible. But again, there's just one of me. And this is a process that is absolutely life-changing for many people in multiple performance domains, from acting on Broadway, to singing, to dancing, to performing in the financial world. Is there a common link that you found with your clients, whether it's the six or the 60-year-olds or the hedge fund portfolio manager or the chess prodigy grandmaster. But are there any similarities that you found that have all helped them unlock their kind of further potential? Persistence. And if you really are all in with the program and the training, whether you do it with me or you learn about some of it through the book, if you're all in and really 100% committed and doing your practice every day, twice a day, 
focusing on the different tenets, it works. It absolutely works. And it, what's amazing is seeing how the persistence manifests even beyond the improved mood and decreased anxiety and starts to impact people's interpersonal relationships, their ability to pivot very quickly, which can lead cognitively pivoting, leading to greater creativity. It's just greater leadership. Thinking of leadership as physiological, when you're able to control your physiology, you can be this strong, resilient leader. So it's so much fun to see kind of the different vectors through which greater physiological control manifests. So you've been around this work for a couple of decades now. How have you incorporated into your life still? Or is it something that once you've mastered, you don't need to refer to it as much? No, I will only recommend things that I fully do myself and believe in. And HRV biofeedback is one. I do it twice a day. So does my husband. Sometimes we have couples breathing at the end of the night. And I'll tell you, it's a new way to connect. <laughs> and it's fun. Our little five-year-old Madeline sometimes breathes. And she likes to take her HRV in the morning when mommy and daddy do it. We all believe in it. And for me, it's a habit that I feel someone shouldn't live without. Because there are just so many beautiful benefits. The other is just longevity. Heart rate variability and improving heart rate variability is associated with longevity, meaning living longer, less cardiovascular disease. And it is such an easy process to go through for such tremendous benefits. We're almost out of time, so I want to go through a few of the, the typical questions I ask all my guests. Who or what inspires you? I am inspired by people that live their passions, whether it's through work or lifestyle and are in constant search of learning. Learning for me is just like breathing. The two almost coexist together. They're integral parts of who I am and the people I select in my life. And those are the people that inspire me, the people that are constantly learning and pursuing what they love. Do you learn from your clients? I mean, I'm sure they go to you for advice and recommendations and suggestions a ton new ways that HRV that's probably the one that intrigues me the most is new ways that heart rate variability biofeedback has impacted them whether it's someone who's pregnant <laughs> who feels like they're having a, a healthy pregnancy because they're able to calm their anxieties and HRV has helped them to someone who's improving sleep at night there are so many ways that I've seen HRV impact people that are beyond what's even written about. And so that's such a gorgeous journey to go on with my clients. I love that. Do you have a mentor or role model? I do. I do. She is someone who I have known for about 20 years and is a strong, dynamic woman who is a clinical professor in Canada. And what I love about her is her passion for what she does and also her just her candid, smart quips on life. <laughs> <laughs> How did you meet her? In the industry? or? Yeah, I did. And in fact, it was my goal to be someone that got to know her. And I would say she's like family to me now. She comes and stays with us. And But she's someone who impressed me with just not only her incredible knowledge, but just the depth of her heart. I mean, you just, you feel her energy for wanting to help the world. Those are the people you and I want to be around in life. Love that. What are you most proud of so far? 
Within my whole world or just my work world? Either. That's the fun part. It could be personal or professional. I can give you both. In my whole world, I am most proud of this little family that my husband and I have built. We have two little girls who just are sweet and love to learn and also love to breathe. (laughs) But they are best friends. And you want to talk about what puts me in resonance in life? It's those little pumpkins. (laughs) And in terms of what I'm most proud of professionally, one of the areas that I have loved is being able to translate heart rate variability biofeedback into a relatable science. For so long, it stood on those academic shelves in, in the kind of wording that people weren't inspired by, couldn't relate to. And the effects were largely unknown or one could say ignored. And so one of my missions in this lifetime is to bring biofeedback into not only the homes of the world, but into the dialogues happening in the world. And and so I'm really proud of the opportunities that I've been given, like this podcast with you, for instance, to help people understand really the scientific base of heart rate variability biofeedback and just the significant benefits from the process. Well, I could definitely attest to that and say it works for me. Last question on my side. The show has been around for a couple of years now. And the question used to be, can you tell me your most impactful failure? And over time, a few of my guests and also listeners had said, you know, a lot of the show is about really extraordinary people who are really inspiring and, and motivating. And it's not so much about their failures, but ultimately about the growth from that and their struggles that they face, but their growth and lessons learned. So I've changed the question a bit. But can you share one of the most impactful or biggest growth moments that you've had? I took a year between undergrad and grad school to go live out on the West Coast. Mind you, I'm from Florida, born and raised. (laughs) And I had been following Tara Scanlon, who was a female sports psychologist who I admired and wanted to train with. So I worked in her lab, applied to the UCLA program for a PhD in clinical psychology and specifically to work with her. And it seemed as though my life was very much lining up. The work was going really well. I really loved talking with her, her mentorship. And right before deadlines were due, she came to me and said, Leah, I have to tell you, I'm so sorry. I've decided to go on a clinical sabbatical for one year, but maybe two, which meant that I wouldn't be going to UCLA after all. And I had applied to Rutgers at the time because they had specific sports psychology track and some very strong faculty at the program. And at that time, I did receive a call that I had an interview with Rutgers. And it's funny, and I at the time had been so sure that I was going to UCLA, I didn't even take a plane out. I did the interview via phone. (laughs) And anyway, one thing led to another. I got into Rutgers and they were so kind and generous in giving me an academic scholarship for my grad's tuition. And it was an unexpected turn. I had envisioned my life in LA and had already started building that. And here, abruptly, my life took me to New Jersey. A place I had never been and never had imagined going. And I went with no expectations and open slate. And I will tell you, it was 
probably the best five years of my learning in a lifetime. And so one of the things I think I took out of that was sometimes having no expectations is a great thing and just an openness and a receptivity. And that was enough to lead me to a path for a lifetime. So I'm so grateful life swerved in that way. And it was about pivoting and adapting. And I did that. I wouldn't say it was, it took some effort. (laughs) That combined with the incredible people and going in with just being open to learning and there to really just embrace whatever was given ahead was a good starting point and something that a lot of the peak performers that I work with also talk about in their own experiences. So it's, we think of peak performance and sometimes as having these big aspirations. And in that case, I knew I wanted my doctorate, but I didn't have to be so meticulous in carving out everything I wanted to achieve. There was an openness that really led me to an outlet I had never imagined. Oh, I love that answer. Okay, I I lied. This is really the last question. (laughs) Because I'm so curious. I mean, you have all this academic experience. You have all this clinical experience. You've worked with elite performers across the world and doing a lot of sectors and industries. And I'm curious, what is next for Dr. Leah Lagos? Oh, my goodness. You just gave me goosebumps. What is next? Well, the book came out. I have some exploring to do, but there may be a an institute of some sort shortly ahead. Sign me up. I will take all the classes that you will offer because so far this has been incredible for me. And I know that we have a few people in common that have just sung your praises and now I can see why. So thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. For more information, people can go to drlealagos.com. That's D-R-L-E-A-H-L-A-G-O-S.com. And I look forward to consuming more. Pleasure. Great to see you. Thank you.